and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower. We hope you had a safe and happy Thanksgiving. We also hope that this podcast goes way less chaotically than the last one did, because if you missed last week's episode, you'd be forgiven. But we're in the middle of recording our season predictions podcast when the news came through that UConn women's basketball got shut down for two weeks because of a positive COVID test. So we kind of had to switch gears pretty quickly and uh, give our instant reactions. But now we've had a week to digest it. We've talked with Gino where I am about it. We have more information about everything. So hopefully this one sound, this conversation sounds a little more coherent and put together than the last one did. The day after, or a couple days after we recorded on Thursday, Gino Ariama talked to the media to kind of give a roadmap was with the COVID test and what were the next steps for getting back on the court. So the biggest thing is that on Saturday, the team returned to the court in a limited capacity so they can be back together in their pods or apartments, the people they live with, but they can't have a full team practice until the 14 day quarantine is up. Something interesting that he did say was that it wasn't one of the members of the team or a coach who tested positive. So it was another, as the NCAA has termed it, a tier one individual, which includes practice players, sports medicine, equipment staff, managers, other people that are around the program. Just want to give a shout out to my fellow male practice players. If you didn't know, I was a practice player for the women's team for about two weeks before everything shut down this past spring, my senior year at UConn. Very fun, totally unrelated, but Gino said that only the players have to quarantine. None of the staff has to, no, none of the other personnel. So only the players, it wasn't another team player that tested positive. It was only one of a practice player, sports medicine or equipment staff. So it's really a mystery about who it could have been, Megan. <laughs> yeah, definitely a mystery. Probably one we'll never know the answer to, but <laughs> alas, here we are. <laughs> yeah, well, it's unfortunate that only the team players have to quarantine. It is what it is. Uh, they also found out that there was a second positive test, which ended up not really affecting anything too much, just because of contact, contact tracing, as UConn said. They determined that what they had going was already enough, and they didn't need to change anything, so... I guess we'll never find out what person in the program tested positive, but Gino did say that they were completely asymptomatic at least last Thursday, and he had no reason to believe that they were doing anything irresponsible that led to the positive test. And I think that's really just kind of a big thing, something that I saw on Twitter a couple of times where just the numbers are really kind of getting to the point where even if you're being responsible, wearing a mask, not being with large crowds, not putting yourself at risk by being in certain situations, you can still get the virus, which is really just what makes trying to play right now really tricky. And Gino kind of alluded to it, and I guess we'll get to this a little later, but pretty much everyone's going to deal with this. And there's already been a lot of Big East schools shut down because of it. UConn, obviously both the basketball programs have shut down to this point. I know the men's hockey programs had a couple shutdowns too football at UConn has so it's gonna get to everyone and it's basically just how widespread it's gonna be and how much it really affects the season and how much the Big East is willing to go how far it's willing to go in letting there be positive tests and or what their limit is for how many positive tests and shutdowns and schedule disruptions that there can be. Yeah for sure I think I mean just I think we're gonna go into this more later but just the last week alone has kind of proven that it's it's going to be interesting to see if they're going to try to continue running a season like this, how it's going to work, because there's been so many teams, even before it tipped off, and then, and then since then, that is like have been affected directly or indirectly. Um, it's a bit of a mess. I mean, I feel like Louisville is like a prime example of a team that hasn't been affected directly, but yet has like, I think it's four or five of their first games have been rescheduled already. So I just, to me, I just don't know how you run a season like this right now. Right. Jeff Walls was literally on Twitter asking people to play games. And you know it's really bad when they've reached that point. Yeah, just right. every single day that passes, I feel worse about the prospects of the season because it's another team shut down. 
it's positive tests here, it's this game's canceled or rescheduled. There's just no sense of flow to the season. And like, I don't even feel good that UConn's even going to be able to get back from its 14 day shutdown without something happening, whether that be within its own program, if there's another positive test possibly, or if that's just the Big East deciding to pull the plug until I'm just throwing out a date, making this up January. It just seems like things are escalating so much to the point that eventually you have to do something because the definition of insanity is trying to do the same thing over and expecting different results. And if the cases are rising and the numbers are getting worse, and yet you're not doing anything different, that just means that there's going to be more disruptions, more shutdowns, more positive tests within programs. I don't know if a total bubble is the end-all be-all, even though I think that's been proven as the most effective method, but you need to change something because I don't think what Mohegan Sun's doing is a true bubble. Like you can't have teams just coming in and out at every few days and call it a bubble, even if it is sealed in once they get there, because there have already been teams that have come in and tested positive and left or teams that have decided not to come because they don't think it's safe. And then all the other bubble type events going on around the country, Mohegan Sun's just the most local one. I don't know what the solution is, but they need to try doing something different because what's happening right now is not working. Exactly. And like, like you said, I don't know what the solution is, but let's because like they can call it bubble fill and Mohegan Sun, it is not a bubble. Like you have teams coming in, in and out every day. You're testing them once when they come in, who's to say that someone doesn't have it the next day. It's just a disaster. I'm, I honestly feel like it's just an away game with some extra rules, right? Like you're supposed to stay yeah. in your hotel room when you're not playing, but it's not a bubble. And unless you're going to actually commit to the type of testing and procedures that need to be in place to play in bubbles, I just... I'm not saying you have to play in a bubble, but I just don't see how you play the season right now without having some kind of actual bubble environment. Right. And I think that's really tough to kind of pull off because I think you look at like the Big East, the Big East, even if they might want to claim that they don't, the Big East and its schools all have the money to throw their teams in a bubble. They can pull it off. All the power five schools <laughs> obviously can, but it's when you start getting down to the smaller conferences, the America Easts, the NECs, the max, the other max, I really think those programs probably don't, or those programs and those conferences don't have the money to put them, put their teams in a bubble. They, a lot of them really don't have the money to test their own athletes on a consistent basis. So I think there needs to be an NCAA wide policy to help them figure it out. And there also needs to be a way of helping or understanding that there's obviously huge inequality in the sport. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that in a normal time, but now these bigger conferences have to be helping out the smaller conferences. So maybe if you have a bubble, let's say the Big East goes to Mohegan Sun, then maybe along with the Big East being there, the men's and women's programs, then just to use a local example, the America East can also go there and the Big East can kind of subsidize them. Or if the ACC plays in New York City, then NEC conference bubble can also be there. So use the bigger conferences to kind of help offset the cost for the smaller conferences, because if you're going to claim this is going to be a real college basketball season, but then only the power six conferences are playing and no one's eligibility is actually being used, you really start to lose that claim to this being a real collegiate basketball season. Exactly. Something needs to be done. I think, I don't know, if that wasn't clear last week when we recorded it, it's very clear to me at this point, just like the way the last week of the, it's just been a, are we, we're not even at a week of the season. Tomorrow's a week of the season. And the oh, number God. of times that the schedule has changed for teams that games have been canceled, sometimes like 20 minutes before, I think UCLA's like opening day game for women's basketball is literally like the players were on the court when the game got postponed. It's, it's just a full-scale disaster. I don't really have any like nice way to put it. They Something needs to be done to get things into controlled environments if you're going to play games. I can't believe it's only been a week. I seriously I thought we were on like week two or three. Yeah, like, it's been a, it hasn't even been a week. It's insane. <laughs> especially because like UConn men's basketball has been playing. So right. we've like seen UConn basketball in some capacity. It feels like it's been way longer than less than a week. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't know what the end goal is because I feel like 
as bad as it would be if you shut down now through Christmas and then you figure out a better plan for January or maybe you even just pull the plug until February, then, okay, the vaccines are really, the momentum for those seem to be really Mm -hmm. cranking. And I don't think that college athletes should be getting the vaccine first, but if you get to maybe say February, then maybe we're at a point with those where it's a little more tenable, where it's, I guess, open to the public and colleges can start buying those up. But maybe you have better testing by that point where you can have rapid testing and accurate rapid testing where you take a test in the morning and by the time of the game, you know for sure who's positive and can isolate them and be able to work around these long quarantines, which a lot of coaches have said make it really difficult for them to prepare for games and just throws a wrench in practice because you're not practicing as a team for 14 days or you give a chance for the numbers to go down. Like you need to do something to mitigate the risk factors that you have. And they're not, they're, they're really aside from not having fans, having a little extra testing and spreading the benches out, are they really doing anything different than what would be going on in a normal college basketball season? I don't think so. And that's a major problem. Exactly. And then to add to that, there are plenty of places that are having fans too. So does it oh, yeah. adds to that problem as well. Like I think in the Northeast, I feel like we walk around and we're like, okay, this is what the world's like. And then you turn on the TV and watch college basketball or college football in the South or out West. And you're just like, wait, what is that? <laughs> what are all these people doing in the stands? So yeah, I, I feel like you just hit it on the head. Like there needs to be something else done. I don't know if it probably at this point is postponing because you just need time to come up with a plan. If not a plan you can come up with overnight, but to me, it's just there's no clear way to push forward under the current situation. Yeah, and I don't know if hoping is the right word here, but I was kind of hoping that when UConn got the positive test, UConn women's basketball, the most recognizable women's team in the country, I think it would probably end up in the top 10 for the most recognizable like college mm-hmm. basketball programs. I don't have any evidence to back that up. That's just my guess, but the defining moment of when things shut down for the first time, especially in the sports world was when the NBA pulled the plug on its season. When I can't remember his name, the guy in the nuggets tested positive. Rudy Gobert. Yes. Rudy Gobert. Every single coach that spoke about their season shut down and end of the season getting canceled and all sports just coming to a stop. Every single one of them referenced Rudy Gobert testing positive and the NBA shutting down as the moment they realized like, holy crap, this is serious. And I remember sitting in my room and that's just watching everything come through on Twitter and just the gravity of the situation really hitting me about how serious this was and how the NBA shut down. Like, I know that seems like a kind of, that doesn't seem as bizarre now that we've been in it for nine months, but that's never happened before the other league shutting down has never happened before. It was such an unprecedented thing. And I was, I guess, hoping, even though I don't think that's the exact right word to use here, that UConn shutting down would be the fall winter version of Rudy Gobert, where it kind of hits everyone. And it's like, whoa, okay. If UConn women's basketball is shut down, maybe we should reevaluate things. And I just feel like UConn got swept under the rug like every other program has about oh yeah this place is shut down they've got a positive test uh they're done for 14 days we'll check back in on them on two weeks like I was hoping that would bring out a change and it hasn't even been a speed bump yeah exactly I just don't understand really how people are just so comfortable with plugging along like yes this is fine we haven't even talked about some of the other events on the men's side this weekend that I'm just like what on earth are we doing but I think anyone that looks at this like for five seconds can be like this plan does not work it is not safe it is not logistically like possible why someone has stepped up and been like hey let's refigure out what we're gonna do here I just don't understand right and it just sucks because I want to be excited for at least UConn men's basketball because those games Mm -hmm. have actually been played and been on the schedule like I want to be excited to watch those and instead it's more just like all right well I'm I want to see what they look like, but I'm not excited for this. Like, I feel like I should be and that I think I was over the summer. I I don't really feel excited about, oh, we're only a week away. We're recording this on Tuesday. So next 
Tuesday, UConn, if everything goes well, can return as a team in practice. And then I think it's two weeks away is the season opener against Butler. I don't feel any level of excitement for that. It, to me personally, it's more of a feeling of dread. Like, again, I don't think hoping is the right word here, but I'm almost hoping that just the plug gets pulled at some point. I, it's just a hard feeling to describe where I really don't want them to come back and not because something bad happens on UConn's end, but something needs to happen. And I would rather teams not be playing and keeping their athletes safe than just forging ahead and acting like this isn't a big deal. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Exactly. No, I completely agree with that. And then I also think it's just hard to get excited, even if you like take that part out, which obviously is like the biggest part, but just because you don't know what's going to happen. Like you don't know if a game is going to tip off until basically like the ball is actually in the air. What are you working towards? Because like the fact thought of having actual March Madness right now seems just like so unrealistic. It's hard to get excited because it's like, what are you looking forward to? And then you add in, of course, the biggest part, which is the safety of the athletes. And like, why are we doing this in a way that's so unsafe for them and not making that a priority? Yeah, it's frustrating to watch. And that's coming from two people that obviously like love college basketball more than your average person. So, right. (laughs) After our predictions podcast got upended by this news that there was a shutdown, like, how can we put our full weight and full energy and just go be completely like dedicated into doing previews and coverage when at any moment the rug can just get pulled out from under us and all this work that we've built up to a certain point like just gets thrown away basically because all of a sudden they're off for two weeks again exactly which like very well could happen I think it should be at this point expected that it's going to happen if like things are insisting on continuing as they are Teams are going to be shut down more than once for two weeks at a time. I guess maybe a little less than two weeks because the CDC is updating guidance. But nonetheless, for extended periods of time, teams are going to be shut down. It just makes it hard to understand what we're doing. Right. And even if it's not UConn specifically that gets shut down, it's still going to be – it could still be, you know – UConn is supposed to play Villanova tonight, but Villanova has a positive test, so that's shut down. And so UConn no longer has a game or those type of things where it could be UConn's opponent too that messes things up and UConn might not play for a week and a half because the one game they had scheduled there got pushed off or who knows what. So it's just all changing literally by the minute. And it's just really tough to deal with all those changes and then turn around and act like, everything's normal when there's basketball happening on the court. Exactly. Yeah. I found myself even this week. I'm like trying to watch like the men's games and stuff feeling that way. Like it's just, it makes it hard to, you can't ignore what's going on. So it's like, it makes it hard to enjoy it as much as you want to while it is there. Speaking of the schedule, the UConn's 14 day shutdown obviously has impacted it. So it will affect the Huskies first four games three of which are probably going to get canceled, one which has already been rescheduled. So the opening Hall of Fame challenge weekend, the season opener against Quinnipiac, and then the likely matchup against Mississippi State, those are both canceled. And then obviously the game against Louisville at Mohegan Sun, that one's canceled too. So I know we've been talking about those games so much leading up to this because Quinnipiac was going to be a really good introduction to the team. Like we both thought that we could possibly see a lot of players because Quinnipiac's a weaker opponent. And then Mississippi State was going to be the first test to see what this team's really made of. And then Louisville's was going to be another test on that. And now we get none of it. And it's going to be straight into Big East play. And it's going to be straight into Big East play against none of the actually good teams in the Big East. So I feel like it's disappointing to lose those really, really big games. But then also not have anything to replace those either yeah exactly I feel like looking at the schedule at this point like if we just assume for the purpose of this that like things go on as planned from now on you're looking towards that like Baylor game in January as the first chance to really see where this team stands I think in women's basketball especially it's just the bottom of the Big East is not going to give us a great idea of what this team is going to look like against a top opponent and without those like kind of two big games that we've been talking about every week, it feels like for the last month, it's kind of hard to gauge that off the bat. Um, I think you saw a lot of team games that happened this weekend, but these teams play top 10 teams play these like kind of middle of the pack, lower end of the 
NCAA teams and it's like, okay, you score like 120 points, but like, what does that actually mean in the grand scheme of things? Not a whole lot. So it makes it hard to just kind of see where things stand, which is disappointing because I think, especially coming into the season, like we've been really excited to try to see this team on the court, which hopefully we will get to see, I guess, but it's not the same as getting to see them kind of against those two top teams off the bat and really get a feel for this is where they're at and this is how good they are. Yeah, for sure. And then like that Baylor game, should UConn really be sending its players down to Texas, a place that <laughs> definitely doesn't have as stringent restrictions and guidelines as we have here in Connecticut and really the Northeast as a whole? Like that's another thing to consider. Yep. So like, should that game really go on and who knows what things even look like in January either. I think that's like just over a month away, I believe. And even that feels way too far to try and project anything. So I was going to say, if 2020 has shown us everything, trying to get excited for something that's a month down the road is not a good idea. So, um. Well, the good news is that a month from now, we won't be in 2020. That's true, but um, something tells me the first half of 2021 isn't going to be that much better. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree with that. I was just trying to be a little optimistic. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) I could probably use a little more optimism. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I'm not going to tempt 2021 by saying it couldn't be worse than 2020, but it's got a really high bar to live up to, so hopefully it doesn't. Things at least seem to be trending in a little bit of a better direction that's probably even saying too much but (laughs) getting back to the schedule Gino said that the three non-conference games that got canceled they're probably gonna be just totally wiped out unless things change going forward where just use Louisville as an example because they've been looking for opponents constantly at the start of the year if UConn has a Big East game canceled let's say like December 20th and Louisville doesn't have any game then, then maybe they meet up at Mohegan Sun or something to play. But from the sounds of it, Gina wasn't expecting anything like that. And that makes sense because, look, the non-conference schedule is already so reduced. The biggie schedule is probably going to have to be pretty compact just to deal with everything that you have and possible makeup dates filled in before the end of the season and everything like that. So it's unlikely that we see those. We do have a new date for the Seton Hall game. That's going to be December 17th at 7.30 at Seton Hall still on SNY. It's going to be two days after the home opener against Butler on December 15th. So I feel like back-to-back games is probably better than play and then sit for five days and then play again because Gino said during his press conference that to get in basketball shape, you need to play basketball. So you play one game you get a day off, you play another game. I feel like that's got to help you get into basketball shape better than a game every four days or a game every week. So it's a little bit of a compact part of the schedule, but I think it's probably going to benefit UConn. I agree. And then they also have the benefit of the fact that their quarantine should be over, assuming nothing else goes wrong, on Monday or Tuesday of next week, but they don't play a game until the 15th. So they've got a full week of practices that they can kind of get in there before they have to be ready to go in game shape granted it's Butler so it's not like they have to go up against Louisville in that first game but um gives them a little bit of time to get ready and then you play the back-to-back games and get some time on the court so from a scheduling perspective assuming things go as planned for the next couple of weeks they should be in a good spot right and I think we can also kind of look at UConn men's basketball and get a roadmap (laughs) of what things might look like so do you know the exact time that men's basketball came back from their quarantine and played I think it was a much smaller distance between the two right it was I think it was only three or four days max yeah I was gonna say it was definitely less than a week I don't know the exact time either but it was it was less than a week so you can the women definitely have a kind of edge on them right I still think that first game against Butler is probably going to be ugly because that's what we saw from the men in both their first two games and especially with how many new pieces they have and the fact that they haven't played any exhibitions, it's probably going to be one of those times where UConn's talent alone just kind of carries them past whoever they play because they're just going to be far more talented than anyone they face for a while. Having said that, I just don't see those being one of those classic UConn basketball clinic games. It's just such a short time frame, and UConn's probably not going to be in 
amazing shape like they normally are. It's going to be a very unfinished product, but at this point, that's better than nothing. Yeah, it's going to be ugly by the women's basketball stands for sure. For people that listen to us that are also men's fans, I wouldn't get panicked. I don't think they're going to look like the men did. <laughs> the women's team ever looked like the men's team did. But anyway, um, yeah, it's going to be an ugly game for sure. I think that's to be expected. Honestly, their first game of the season, just given the number of players, should be kind of expected to be ugly to begin with, taking the fact that they've been off for a while. It's going to take a little bit to fall into place. The good news is they don't really have to play anyone where they need to be at their – top 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 level of game for kind of a few weeks after that so there's plenty of time for the pieces to fall back into place and to get going to face a top 10 team assuming those games still happen right although it is a little tricky that let's play a game where the schedule actually happens as it looks right now right and <laughs> UConn's off on December 22nd after after the December 22nd game at Villanova you have the Christmas break Biggie's plays planning to restart on December 30th. So I imagine you get one or two games in before Baylor. So you're probably looking at those games right after Christmas. And even maybe that Baylor game is a place where UConn should probably start finding its stride six, seven games into the year with a sizable gap in between then too. So that Baylor game, if it happens and things aren't completely different by then, I think just could be pretty interesting in UConn and just in the sense that I think UConn will be starting to find its feet by that point right exactly so it's still gonna be a little bit rough there it's gonna be it's gonna feel more like what probably like a that Louisville game or something an early season big game would feel like instead of feeling like kind of that January big game yeah for sure which is wild to think that we're talking about January as oh yeah they might be getting their feet under them when like January during a regular college basketball season, it's almost like, oh my God, it's January. The season's almost over. It's crazy just how the time, like just at least in my own head, how the whole timeline has been messed up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and who knows how much more messed up it will be by January, but yep. <laughs> if I had to bet a lot more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going to go into a quick ad break and be right back. And we're back. So speaking of Seton Hall, Former UConn player Andre Espinosa Hunter, part of that heralded 2017 recruiting class that was number one in the country, featured Megan Walker, Michaela Coombs, Lexi Gordon, and then obviously Espinosa Hunter. She, af- she left UConn after her freshman year, went to Mississippi State for two years, opted out of this year. Now she's going to be using her grad season at Seton Hall. So she's going to be getting two games against her former team next season. That's going to be really interesting. Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting. I feel like probably not as interesting as had she not opted out of the season and that Mississippi State game had been played and UConn had to face her at Mississippi State. That would have been a good game. I feel like she's a good addition for Seton Hall, but probably doesn't change where Seton Hall kind of stacks up against UConn uh, going into next season. So it'll be interesting to see her take the court against them. But, I mean, none of her old teammates will be there at this point. She left her freshman year. Um, So everyone from that class is gone because Megan Walker was the last remaining person from that team. Interesting, but I guess probably nothing too much for the Husky story about. Right. I think the bigger storyline here is just Seton Hall coming for UConn's title as the main Ossining pipeline (laughs) in college basketball. So Sanaya Chong went to Ossining. Aubrey Griffin went there. Obviously, Andre Espinosa came here. Andre Espinosa Hunter came here first. Seton Hall's had a couple Ossining players too last season. Shadeen Samuel was a senior. Kayla Harris was a freshman, so same class as Aubrey Griffin. Obviously, Espinosa Hunter going there too, but it'll be just a more interesting matchup than UConn playing a normal transfer. I, off the top of my head, I don't know the last time UConn played one of someone that used to be in the program would it be Delaware with Elena Deladon yeah that might be the last time it's definitely not something that has happened often or recently that I can remember at least right because just running through some of the players that have transferred out Lexi Gordon went to Texas Tech they never played her then they won't play her Michaela Coombs I guess they theoretically could play Georgia at some point probably not then, well, actually, Nelson Adona's a junior, so assuming things are normal next year, they will need a homecoming game for her. 
That's right. So they could play Michaela Coombs next season if they if Gino lines up a game with Georgia for her homecoming game, but it could also be Georgia Tech or someone else down there. Natalie Butler went to George Mason. Then who were the transfers before that? Eckmark was Arizona State. There was the one in Lou's class, Lou and Fisa's class. Oh, she, God. Did she, was that DeJane Boykin? Or was that with remember. Kia and Gabby? There's one in Kia and Gabby's class that transferred, and then one in Lou and Fisa's class. One was Sadie Edwards, and one was DeJane Boykin. I'm pretty sure Boykin was with Lou and Fisa. Okay. She went to Penn State, and then... West Virginia, I think. I believe um, Edwards went to USC because Edwards was the kid from Meriden, I think. Okay. That rings a bell. Yeah, so unofficially, I'm pretty sure it's Deladon, and she's just very loosely called a former UConn player. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She was at UConn for what, a week, two weeks, so I don't know if that really counts. She never actually stood like, up for a game. I think it was like three days. It yeah. was like a very, very short amount of time. Just uh, one of the fun things to play is how different the college basketball world would be if Elena Deladon actually went to UConn. They would have won, what, eight championships in a row with Maya Moore and Tina Charles. And then Deladon came in right after that or right around that. They would have won those two bridge ones. And then with Stewie, like, same thing would have happened. <laughs> eight national championships in a row is ridiculous. So yeah. I guess I guess the college basketball gods work things out on their own. But... <laughs> And it's not like there was any animosity in that one, too, I know. Right, right. Deladon played for Gino on the Olympic team, and there was an article, I think it was Yahoo Sports, about how Deladon was really nervous that Gino was going to hate her, and Gino understood why she transferred, whereas Espinosa Hunter, I don't know, I, if I had to guess, I don't think she's on great terms with anyone in that program, especially Gino. There was the comment he made to donors on a video that leaked out about she's not here because I don't want her here. I can't imagine it went over well that she went to Mississippi state the year after they ended that win streak and upset them in the final four. So it could be interesting. Yeah, for sure. I feel like there's definitely enough like drama around that kind of transfer situation to keep things interesting more so than there has been about any other transfer I can remember at least. So we'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Yeah, for the most part, it's a mutual parting or an amicable breakup for a player transferring out because it's usually they're not getting enough playing time or they're just not up to the talent level of UConn and just for whatever reason or not, it's not working out. But Espinosa Hunter, Gino's comment that he she isn't here because I don't want her here is what happened. You know, if you don't follow the rules of the program, it's not going to go over very well. Yeah, <laughs> it did get her her automatic eligibility at Mississippi State, though, so I guess it worked out in her favor. But That's yeah. true. I mean, some people just aren't cultural fits, if <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So that'll be an interesting matchup next year. I'm definitely not hinting at anything at all throughout <laughs> this entire podcast. I think it'll just be kind of an interesting storyline to watch. I'm sure Gina will downplay it, and if anyone asks us when I was a hunter about it, she'll downplay it. But just one of those things to keep our eyes on. In other news for former UConn players, going from someone we're not sure where they stand with the program to one of the best people to graduate from this program in recent memory, if not ever, without exaggerating or being hyperbolic, Batuli Kamara, one of the greatest people on this earth, just won another award for the work that she does off the court. So back in June, she won the Billie Jean King Youth Leadership Award at the ESPYs, one of seven players to receive that. Now she was named to Forbes 30 Under 30 Sports List, which includes players like Asia Wilson, Natasha Cloud, Shanae Gwumke, the NBA star Ben Simmons, DeAndre Hopkins, New England Patriots linebacker Brandon Copeland. Lots of very, very high-profile names on that list. Shams Tarania, the athletics WNBA version of Adam Schefter, basically. And Batuli Kamara for the work that she does empowering women and children. I know she has plans to build a school in Guinea, her family's ancestral home, that 
will allow girls to play basketball, receive a good education, get scholarships to colleges in the U.S. and around the world, and just receive professional development training that they might not otherwise get. She's just one of the nicest people that you can talk to, one of my favorite people to interact with over my time covering the team. And I feel like that's pretty unanimous for anyone who spent any amount of time around her. But yeah, just one of the great people to come through UConn's program, a program that produces a lot of really, really good people. But she stands above the rest, and it's just awesome to see her receive such a huge national honor. For sure. And I mean, everything you just said about her just speaks to how impressive she is, obviously. But I mean, to be a year out of college, not even a year out of college, and being named to the 30 under 30 list is obviously a huge deal in general. It's a very prestigious kind of list to be on. Also, I think that just jumped out on that list. It's not totally UConn related, but just was like the kind of concentration of women's basketball people that were on the sports list. I think it was yeah. six people that were either WNBA players, Batuli who played for UConn or um, like WNBA kind of focused reporters that were on that list. So just a huge woman's basketball influence on it, which is really cool to see. Right. But I think that's also just a product of what we see from women's basketball and the WNBA right. as a whole, because the WNBA has always been very social justice focused. I know it was the links that had the, controversial t-shirts a few years back that kind of is a good representation of where we've come in the time because what was that 2014 that happened with the t-shirts what year was that i think it was 2014 that sounds right and that was like a pretty big controversy the league was like trying to make them not wear the t-shirts if i'm remembering correctly right yeah, I can't remember if the league was involved, but I know there was definitely some controversy around the t-shirts, and um, I think there were some officers at the game that reacted poorly to it. So, um, yeah, but unfortunately, we're, what, six years later and in pretty much the same situation, so. Right, I don't mean to say progress in that, but just the yeah. way the WNBA reacted to oh, yes. the nationwide protest that happened this summer, the Black Lives Matter movement, it's just such the WNBA is always at the forefront of that. And really, I just feel like women's sports as a whole, because the NWSL and the U.S. women's soccer national team, they're always right at ahead of that and always a leading voice for women and underrepresented populations and the LGBT community and all underrepresented groups. I feel like a lot of times it's the women's athletes that are at the forefront of that. So I don't think it's necessarily surprising in that regard to see them included, but I think it is a little, not surprising, but it's good to see that they're being recognized for it too, especially when I know we see all the time where they don't get the recognition they necessarily deserve for just their accomplishments or the things they do on and off the court. So I think it's just awesome that not only are they doing these things, but they're also getting the recognition they deserve for it too. Exactly. I totally agree with that. I think, just like you said, they're on the forefront, but it's nice to see it kind of recognized in a very like tangible way. For sure. And like the fact that Batuli Kamara got included in that list is you have some of the best athletes in the country. So it's obvious that what they're doing is going to be a lot more visible because they just have such a large following based on how good they are. But Kamara, obviously injuries really affected her career at UConn. So she didn't get a whole lot of action on the court. She was never really a major part of the rotation. The fact that she can still do something this impactful with the platform that she has is just incredible and is a testament to what she's going to do over the rest of her life because she's she's really only just beginning this. Exactly. Totally agreed. She's just such an impressive person and only at 24 years old, I think. So just so much ahead of her. I can't wait to see what she does. I don't know about you, but I'm reading that list, looking through, and it's like, ah, uh, this person's two years older than me. This person's three <laughs> years older than me. Yeah, There's That a... doesn't make me question my life choices at all. Oh, yeah. Well, wait till you're a couple years older and half of them are younger <laughs> than you. So <laughs> it's true. you're like, what am that. I doing? Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Yesterday, I was proud of myself for putting on actual pants. <laughs> Meanwhile, they have started three different nonprofit organizations yeah. and have helped build a school. Hey, now putting wow. on actual pants in 2020 is a big accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. We shouldn't, we shouldn't knock these major moments in our lives when it has been a very tough year, but the point still stands. 
we're going to jump into one last quick ad break and then come back to talk about basically Notre Dame losing to Ohio and some other stuff in the college basketball world. And we're back. So Megan, Notre Dame lost to Ohio and not Ohio State, Ohio University. And people still think they should be in the top 25. Okay, I have a big grip with this. I had a grip with it going into the season. Now that they've played basketball, they are not a top 25 team. The loss is not as bad as people are making out to be. Ohio is actually a very good mid-major program. They've got two players that are probably two of the best mid-major players in the country. They're probably going to win the MAC. It's they're going to be a good team. But there is zero reason Notre Dame should be in the top 25. On top of the fact that they shouldn't have been in the top 25 with their full roster, you now have Sam Brunel is hurt. I think they have a handful of other players that are injured, so they don't have their full roster. On top of what happened last season, they just don't belong there. Maybe they'll be there come March if we play a real season at some point here, but they're not there right now. Right. It's it, it was ridiculous to put them in the top 25 just because of the way last season went. They went 13-8. and eight. They lost to a god-awful Pitt team in the AAC ter- ACC tournament. Pitt won four games that season, I believe, is the number. Right. It, they were horrifically bad. Like, you have no excuse at all for being Notre Dame, even in a very, very down year, and losing to Pitt. Like, just, they were so bad last season. And, like, I don't mean this disrespectfully to Neil Ivey, but Muffet McGraw is one of the greatest women's basketball coaches of all time. So if she had that bad of a season, and I don't know, I don't know what happened behind the scenes. Maybe she knew she was ready for retirement and mailed it in. Maybe she kind of gave up midway through. Maybe not. Maybe it was just a bad team with some bad luck, and that's how things went. But I don't think it's a hot take to say Muffet's a better coach than Neil Ivey. Neil Ivey's a rookie head coach, so – the roster is not significantly better. It's going to take a long time for this roster to get significantly better because you don't go from 13 and 18 to a national championship contender in a year, in two years, maybe three years if things go really, really well. But just there's no way they're going to be a top 25 team this year. I feel very confident putting that out here right now. They're not going to be a top 25 team this season. Once we start getting underway, I think they're going to be right around 500. Maybe they're going to be a little bit ahead of 500, but just it's insulting to every good women's basketball program in the country this year to have a team like Notre Dame in the top 25 exclusively because they're Notre Dame. Exactly. I completely agree with that. I think they're probably a tournament team by the time the season wraps up, which is more than you could say about them last year had there been a tournament, but yeah, they're not a top 25 team. And to me, it's mostly insulting to all these mid-major programs that are competing with like the top teams in the nation or have the talent on their rosters and deserve those top 25 spots, but they don't get them because for some reason we feel like we have to have Notre Dame in the top 25 when they're just clearly not there right now. And I know people probably think we just hate Notre Dame because it's a UConn podcast, but I, I feel like the rivalry brings me no joy when they're this bad. So I want more than anything for them to be a good team again because it's not any fun to be hating on a Notre Dame team that goes 13-18. and 18. Like, it's not exciting to watch them play UConn. But they're not there right now. You know, I actually have a hot take. I don't hate Notre Dame at all. Like, I obviously don't really view myself as, like, an all-out women's basketball fan I look at myself as a reporter for the team but for me the Notre Dame rivalry was just about two really good teams playing each other every single season and obviously that sparks animosity on its own but rarely did it get personal obviously Gino and Muffet sparred a few times but I think that's just natural when you play each other so much and especially in the old Big East days where there were years they would play each other four times like you're gonna get sick of seeing the team on the other side but that rivalry was really rooted in just two really good basketball teams playing each other every single season where I feel like that's the way Tennessee started, but Tennessee quickly devolved into Gino versus Pat and the cultural differences between Gino and Pat, the cultural differences within the program, the battle for recruits every single season. I don't think UConn and Notre Dame really fight on the recruiting trail a whole lot at least from UConn's perspective. I think Notre Dame is always going after a lot of people UConn's going after, but UConn doesn't lose recruits to Notre Dame. So I think that's different than Tennessee. Tennessee, it was a very personal rivalry where people hated you just because you were from Tennessee. Whereas like it's with Notre Dame, it's like 
the legacy of the Notre Dame rivalry, because I don't think it's ever going to be the same without Muffet, is, wow, those two teams played each other in the Final Four, it seems like, every single season and always had a really good game. So I don't think necessarily – I don't think Notre Dame is necessarily hateable. I think Muffet could really get annoying and could be a little self-righteous sometimes, but so can Gino. Like that's just the, that's just what college basketball coaches are like. You need to have an ego to be a college basketball coach. You need to be a control freak as Gino said this week. So things like that are bound to happen, but yeah, I think college basketball is better when Notre Dame's a good team. I just don't think they're going to be at that level for a while. Yeah, exactly. I don't know that I'll go as far to say a while because I think they've got some of the pieces there with transfers and stuff this year that they're going to build, I think, pretty quickly back to where they were, I think, but they're not there right now. And like you said, college basketball is better better when they're there. I think once college basketball is just better in general, there's a good group of teams at the top that are all really competitive with each other. It gets like when you look back at 2016, like, of course, from a UConn perspective, it's really fun to win four championships in a row, but it's also a little bit boring, like, to not competing at an elite level. So hopefully they'll be back soon. Speaking of overrated teams, South Carolina had a couple close calls this past week. So they only beat South Dakota by 10 points. They had more trouble with Gonzaga, who's ranked in the top 25. They only beat them by single digits. So Life is clearly hard as a unanimous number one program. South Carolina is finding out that out very quickly. But as much as I would love to sit here and just make fun of South Carolina for the next 20 minutes because they do deserve it, it also shows just how much better the mid-major programs are getting in women's basketball. Like Gonzaga has been a force on the men's side for a long, long time, but it's good to see their women's program cracking the top 25, even though they're obviously not in a very good conference. Exactly. And then South Dakota is kind of another one of those mid-major programs that's just been very good year after year after year. Maybe don't right now have the top 25 recognition, but I think we'll be there at some point this season, probably sooner rather than later. Um, So two very good teams. So I think a lot of times when people look at those South Carolina scores, it jumps off as like, oh, this mid-major program, that's giving them a hard time. But these are two very strong teams. And I think it just speaks to kind of how I've felt about South Carolina and really everyone in the top 10 from the beginning is like, there's a lot of question marks on these teams, all of them. So coming in game two, three of the season, who's stepping up, they still don't have that figured out. And I think when you looked at South Carolina's roster going this season, you're like, okay, you've got Aliyah Boston, you've got Zaya Cook, who else is going to do something? And they still need to figure out kind of what that roster looks like and how you replace two top 10 WNBA draft picks it's a it's a lot to replace um especially when you had a really young team last year so now you're asking really young players to step into those roles after not playing a ton last season it's gonna take them some time so to me I don't see any reason like if you're like South Carolina that you should be panicking like they're still good but I think it just speaks to the point that when you look at really the whole top 10 right now where those teams could fall I think you can argue yourself into any order right there is no change in the top 10 this week which I don't think there's any surprise. Everyone won, so I don't think you can really punish anyone for winning. But wasn't there another Dakota team that was good a couple of years ago? Was it South Dakota State or North Dakota? Yeah, so South Dakota Dakota and South Dakota State have both been pretty strong major teams for the past few seasons. I think I want to say it's South Dakota State that had, I think they handed someone a pretty big upset. I can't remember who a couple of years ago. But both teams are generally very strong mid-major teams, so... Um, probably two teams you could possibly see both of them in the top 25 at some point this season. That's so bizarre. Two teams yeah. <laughs> South, South Dakota of all places are good yeah, at basketball. It's like a like, mid-major women's basketball powerhouse for some reason. I'm not really sure, but. <laughs> especially because I had like, couldn't have never even heard of their men's programs either. I, if you told me they didn't even <laughs> yeah. have men's programs, I wouldn't have blinked an eye. The only reason I've heard of South Dakota State before this is I'm pretty sure that's where Adam Vinatieri, the old kicker for the Patriots, went to college. Like Otherwise, I wouldn't even have known that there was a South Dakota State until they became good at women's basketball. So it's always fun to see teams that aren't really good at anything becoming good at women's basketball. For sure. And then they start scheduling these big games against your top 10 teams. So they get their... Faces on national television, which is obviously good for the game. Granted, those games were not on national television, which we could talk about another time, but I hate flow flow sports. It's not a great way to have to watch basketball. But, um, yeah, it's it's great to see kind of these 
mid-major teams right off the bat giving teams a run for their money this season. I think we can talk about it right now. Flow sports needs to be sent to the sun. I've never heard a single good thing about flow sports. It's like absorbently expensive for what I believe is a very crappy product besides the fact that you can physically see what's happening on the basketball court, right? Exactly. People, I think they exclusively basically, I mean, they carry a lot of sports, but they probably make the bulk amount of their money off people like me that are big basketball fans that want to watch their feast week games and can't watch them anywhere else. But I, I didn't even pull the plug this season, which like tells you something about how bad of a product it is. I got it last year because I was like, I can't miss these games that are on it. But the announcing quality is terrible. They get all the players' names wrong. I could go on and on about how terrible the announcing quality is. Basically, the only advantage of it is you can actually see the game. But I'd rather have to like w- listen to it on the radio and try to imagine it in my head than play $30 for one week of basketball. Right. I mean, is it the whole reason that you sign a media deal, either TV or streaming, to get your team recognized and coverage and eyeballs on the program? Why would you ever sign with Flow Sports? There's no way the money with Flow Sports is better than like ESPN Plus, which is not only a better product, cheaper, and gives you a whole lot more options to watch besides just the single thing that you're paying for. It's just ridiculous why you would put your program on flow sports or your conference on flow sports. It's just bad for business in every single sense. You're going to have less fans paying the very, very high monthly fee to watch. You're going to have less casual fans tuning in on top of that because nobody is just going to go, Oh, let me buy flow sports just to see what's on here. It's way too expensive to do that. Whereas ESPN is, I think like, 50 bucks for the year or 60 bucks for the year isn't flow sports like 30 bucks for the month like no kind of promo packages whatsoever so if you want to watch your one week of games you pay 30 (laughs) dollars yeah it's just insanity i i'm it's very good that uconn is all on linear television nowhere near flow sports although that quinnipiac game would have been on there which would have been not good but yeah it's just mind-blowing why anyone goes with flow sports and hopefully i think yukon was on it a couple years ago for that virgin islands tournament they had those three games in three days they played i can remember st john's and purdue i think there was a third game in there that i'm forgetting but those were all on flow sports so ideally those are few and far between yeah i think it seems to be like this issue that's like isolated to thanksgiving week tournaments but i hope that we see something better and i also just think in general it's horrible for the exposure of women's sports when you've got like a game like south carolina south dakota or south carolina gonzaga that's close people want to watch it but they're not going to go pay 30 dollars to watch the second half of that game it's on network television people are actually going to tune in and be interested especially if the men's game that's on another channel is you know 30 point game they're gonna flip over but you don't get that advantage when you are on a kind of like niche streaming service like that not to go too far off the topic here but if you just want to get a sense of how bad flow sports is as a streaming provider in mls dc united had them as their like main broadcasting service and they literally dubbed flow sports in the middle of the season in favor of putting the game streamed for free live on their website because flow sports was so bad. So that's the level of quality that we're talking here. So it's very, very bad and should be fired into the sun with Elon Musk's next rocket or whatever. <laughs> exactly. I like, don't like to mock announcers either. Right? Like I think their job is very hard to like know all these players' names and stuff, but I, it's just like the worst possible quality of announcing I've ever seen from like a sports broadcast it's just straight up horrible I have nothing good to say about it we can end this rant but yeah there's nothing positive to say about I actually do need to make a comment on this like yes being an announcer is hard and knowing some announcers like obviously we had Meg Colmo on here good friends with Bob Joyce it's it's tough, but at the same time, your job is to know the names. And to me, when you're mispronouncing names, that just shows that you haven't put in the preparation that you need to. You haven't spent the time trying to figure out what these people's names are, because I'm pretty sure either most websites, like most schools' websites, rosters either have name pronunciations or have like audio pronunciations for it, 
or you could ask someone from the program about it. I've seen that happen with PA announcers in a press box before where they stop someone from the other team to ask them how to pronounce a certain name. It's a tough job, but that's one of the easier parts of the job is just not messing up the names. And it, it feels very unprofessional if you're saying a name wrong. Yeah, that's fair. That is a big part of the job. (laughs) Right. Anyways, we'll end the flow sports rant there. Some other scoreboard news. Baylor, number four Baylor, went down to the wire with South Florida. Baylor came away with a 67-62 victory. The big news out of this game is that Baylor's Dee Dee Richards actually played. She previously was, and she played 30 minutes too, which is a lot. She uh, had a neck injury, right? Or yeah, I think spinal it was a neck injury. injury yeah. Spinal cord injury. That's even worse. A couple months ago, a month or two ago, and got an indefinite timeline for a turn. So I think it's pretty surprising that she even played in this game. Yeah, I was honestly like shocked when I saw her. We were talking about this before we started recording, and I was like, wait, Dee Richards is on this box score. Um, I think I was just reading on Twitter, it's just been five weeks since her injury. And my understanding from kind of what the program has done and stuff is she basically couldn't walk five weeks ago. So the fact that she's back on the court is amazing news. Played 30 minutes, incredible. It's a huge deal, I think, for this Baylor team in general. If we want to talk like bigger picture for their season, I think she's a big piece of it. But awesome to see that. I think the thing that puzzles me when I look at this box score is Melissa Smith, who's on quite a few of those preseason watch lists that exist was one for 10 for the floor which she's a plays forward I just like can't imagine who on the South Florida team could have guarded her to play to shoot one from 10 so um maybe just an off game for them but something to keep an eye on well Baylor didn't hit a single three-point shot so I don't think their shooting was very fine-tuned to begin with they shot 36 percent as a team so it's kind of an ugly night in that regard she still grabbed 10 rebounds so it's not like she had a bad game True. but I feel like it's probably just one of those things where she's shaking off the rust more than anything yeah and honestly it could come down to the fact that Dee Dee Richards played 30 minutes too I know Baylor announced at the start of the season that that she was going to move into that point guard role so she hasn't played in the game or probably much at all in practice or anything in the last five weeks and then you're throwing her on the floor for 30 minutes to play point guard and run that offense so I could imagine that there's going to be a little bit of rust there while they figure that out yeah, for sure. And then, like, as we know from watching them for the past seven years, USS pretty much always a tough game. I can't remember too many times off the top of my head that 2016-17 season stands out to me where they, I think, tied their record for win streaks. They totally dismantled – UConn totally dismantled South Florida in that game. But for the most part, South Florida was competitive enough with UConn, at least compared to other schools in the Americans. So we know they're a good program. They also struggled shooting from the floor, from the floor. They only shot 34%. A lot of turnovers, 18 for South Florida, 16 for Baylor. So didn't seem like it was a super pretty game to watch, but I feel like that's probably going to be the case with a lot of games early this season, as we mentioned earlier. Exactly. Agreed. Dejane Carrington, who had UConn on her final list, even though UConn wasn't actually pursuing her. But anyways... She had four points in 11 minutes, didn't really do a whole lot. I know there were some questions about how healthy she was going to be. I'm not sure where she is, but she was at least projected to be one of their most impactful players this season. So it's a little surprising to see her only get 11 minutes. Yeah, I think this is surprising to me in general, just because I kind of thought she was probably going to play point guard for them. She played like they Baylor seems to have had this history of in the last couple of years bringing in this grad transfer point guard. She played points on at Stanford, but then they were like, Dee Richards is going to play point guard. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because that's not what I would have imagined you would do with the lineup bringing in Carrington. Um, so I'm interested to kind of see if maybe it's just her health and she gets more minutes coming down throughout the season or if she's really just going to be kind of slated into this off the bench role for them. So do you think that could be a, Achilles heel I guess for Baylor that they don't really have a true point guard on the roster or are they just good enough where they don't really need a point guard they have enough players that can make plays and they just need someone to bring the ball over half court yeah I don't know that I see it as a big crutch for them I also I might be a little higher on Didi Richards than a lot of people are but I think in general she distributes the ball well not playing at the point guard position so I think she can transition to that role 
But I think, I mean, they still have the size inside that just makes them so hard to guard for so many teams. And then you add in the fact that, you know, I mean, Dee Dee Richards, the reigning national defensive player of the year, they're going to be strong in defense. I think they're going to be fine. I don't think it's a cause for concern. I said this, I think, at some point earlier in the season, but I think if they can kind of get Richards to full house, they could easily be the best team in the country. Baylor, I feel like, is always a really sneaky program where I don't think they're ever going into a season, or not very often going into a season, where they're the consensus number one team. But you know they're always going to be a threat for the national championship. So it's going to be an interesting season to watch them, assuming we can continue to watch them. So we alluded to it earlier, but I don't think you can describe the start of the season as anything other than just a total disaster for college basketball season. So I have the NCAA women's basketball scoreboard in front of me from ESPN there today, today alone, there are one, two, three, four, five, six games canceled on a Tuesday night, less than a week into the season. Yesterday on Monday, there were one, two, three, four, five, six games canceled. There have been games canceled every single day this season. I just don't understand how you can pull off a season with the way things are going. And we've mentioned this earlier, but things are constantly in a state of flux and you can't bank on anything happening, let alone a month from now, just a week from now, a couple of days from now. UConn men's basketball is supposed to play Thursday. Who knows if that game even happens? It's (laughs) like, that is an eternity in a season right now, just two days away. Like, it is a giant, giant mess. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think we've hammered the point enough, but it's it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It, there's games canceled every day. And that, I mean, this, there was games canceled for all of these days before it even starts. Now you add in the fact that you're traveling. A lot of these teams, I mean, like UConn travels a private, but not a lot of these teams are traveling private. So you're taking public transportation, public airplanes. Then you add in the fact that you're now coming into contact with all these other teams and all of their tier one individuals. So you're just magnifying the possibility that someone tests positive. I, I, I just don't understand. Yeah, I don't either. Just in my opinion, I don't see this season lasting to Christmas. That just feels like a huge stretch to me because things are just getting worse every single day. There's more cancellations every day. There's more programs shutting down every day. It's not what we want to see, but it, I feel like that's just the reality we're faced with. And things are not going to get better. The numbers are keep getting are getting worse across the country. And as the numbers go up in general, that means the numbers are going to go up in college basketball. And at a certain point, it's just not going to be feasible anymore. And hopefully the decision makers figure that out soon and make a decision with the athletes in mind instead of their pockets in mind, which has been what's <laughs> driven the decision-making for all college sports to this point. Uh, aside from a few notable examples, like UConn football canceling seems like it wasn't financial, wasn't a financial decision completely, but obviously still had financial implications, but college football shouldn't be playing. The NFL obviously shouldn't be playing. If you have to play a game on a Wednesday, you shouldn't be playing at all, but it's happening. So at the very least, hopefully they can figure something out to make the situation better than where it is now, because just what they have now is untenable and can't continue. Exactly. And if you're going to try to say it's because the players want to play, like it's, the players don't want to play like this where they like don't know until they're literally on the court that their game is happening. Like, I think it's just in everyone's best interest to come up with a new plan. So yeah, it might suck that you got to shut down for a few weeks to figure that out, but it's just so obvious that what we're doing is not going to work. Right, and like, of course the players are going to want to play, and up, as down as we've been about it, obviously we want games to happen as long as it can be done safely. We're not saying we don't want games to happen, but we're just looking at the situation that's in front of us, and it just doesn't make sense. And as much as you want to say it doesn't affect athletes, especially college-aged, or they're not as much at risk. Even if you want to believe that completely, ignoring the possible long-term effects that haven't been researched very thoroughly, all the other dangers that come with it, a lot of college basketball coaches are still older, are still definitely at risk. A lot of the people within the program, it's not just about the players. There's the coaching staffs, there's the medical staffs, the practice players, the practice players, equipment people, the managers. There's 
a whole army of people that goes into making these games happen that are being put at risk with as the season continues and it's not all about the athletes so just you need to be able to do it safely and right now they aren't doing it safely i think that's what it comes down to exactly when you look at there's like 350 i think teams in division one basketball for both men and women and then you've got like 20 to 30 people per team that are in these like tier one groups that have common contact with each other i just hope that it doesn't take to the point that someone in one of these programs dies which i think is unfortunately the road that we're going down is not a wild thing to think it's going to happen and it's hopefully things just they find a new plan before that's what happens and makes it set in motion yeah absolutely so we want to have games to be able to talk about but we want to make sure they're being done safely and we have no reservations about watching these games and enjoying finally having real basketball to talk about exactly (laughs) That's going to do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. Thanks for listening. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Be sure to subscribe to the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. Read the UConn blog in Store Central. Megan, you got anything else for us? Uh, wear a mask and be safe. That'll do it.